Okay. All right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome, Peter. Doug here. Hey, Doug. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about uh, 2016's uh, film Christine, uh, not to be confused with the Stephen King car movie. Every time I recommended this to people, they were like, that movie about that car? Hmm. Um, so this has nothing to do with that. This is Christine, uh, directed by Antonio Campos, based on uh, sort of the last days of Christine Chubbuck, a reporter in Sarasota, Florida, at a small television station. In 1974. 1974. And it's based on a true story. Christine Chubbuck was a real person. Um, I have to say that, you know, when this came out, it was actually, it's actually one of two films about Christine Chubbuck that came out uh, in 2016. I have not seen the other one. Uh, the other one uh, is, um, how do you describe it? It's called Kate Plays Christine, which is sort of a documentary about a, a woman trying or to get ready to play Christine Chubbuck. I have not yet seen Kate Plays Christine, but I believe it is on Netflix, and Christine is on Netflix. I remember when this came out, I had heard of Christine Chubbuck, and I knew the just the bare bones of the story, so I was very interested to see it. And it played here in town at the local art house, and it sort of came and went before I could see it. So I was very glad to see it on Netflix. And I will say, and these here are going to be some fighting words, I think this was the best movie of 2016. Like, I don't know if I saw, I guess I saw it in 2017, but it came out in 2016. I think it's, at least, it's easily the best film I've seen in a year. And it's, it's a tough film and it's not a fun movie, but I just could not turn away. It was a nice light, uh, nice light picture. <laughs> yeah, mo- light motif. Well-adjusted, you know, main character. Popular. <laughs> Popular and lighthearted, I would Prom Lighthearted, queen. I would say, in general. <laughs> um. So Christine is uh, working in Sarasota, Florida at, I think it's uh, WBZ. What was the name of the station again? BZE, uh, maybe, something like that. It's, just, uh, like it's supposed local... to be a terrible, like little rinky-dink local station covering minor stories. It's just um, like a local affiliate, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just some little local independent or affiliate station. I don't even know if, it's supposed to, if they really say yeah. it's in a network. The real station was WXLT, although I, th- I don't know if they say that in the in the in the show. Um, and it is it is explicitly stated that she has had prior struggles with mental illness, and she sort of moved down to Florida to try to right the ship. And she's an on-air correspondent, and she is essentially struggling in every possible way, personally, professionally. She has health issues, and she's just desperately, desperately isolated and ambitious at the same time, which is a, a very, very bad combination. Yeah. Um, oh, she worked in, uh, she, yeah, she, so she moved around a lot, I guess, in real life, like uh, in several places. And then they ended up kind of like at the family's summer cottage and Siesta Key near somewhere near Sarasota. And then and that's she, how she ended up there. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's WXLT. Um, TV and she was hired basically to as a reporter and then uh, you know she did Suncoast Digest in the morning which was like a community affairs talk show. Right and if you actually if you go on YouTube you can watch clips of her in Suncoast Digest. Mm. Um, Most of the story I mean I know that they did some research but the bulk of the story I would say 70% of the fact of the story 
come from um, this article uh, by um, uh, uh, Sally Quinn that I believe was written for the Washington Post in 1974 after... Um, after uh, the shooting happened. You can read the original article uh, online in PDF form, and uh, almost almost the entire blood and, uh, sorry, the entire meat of the story is in that Quinn article, uh, down to a lot of very, very specific details. I'm sure there was other research, but that was contemporary research at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I mean, I think that the the, the what captivates you from the whole movie is Rebecca Hall's performance as Chubbuck. Um, I think she's a great actress. I don't think I've ever seen her do uh, something bad. Uh, like, for example, I think she's great in The Town. Um, she's in uh, Lay the Favorite, which I, I we should do Lay the Favorite someday. Just about sort of bookmakers in Vegas. And she really sort of transforms from role to role. Like, you know, I saw The Gift. Uh, which she's in, and I did not even realize that she was the female lead in The Gift uh, until her name came up in the credits. I mean, she's just so, you know, like she's just protean, and she can just change her appearance and her accent so convincingly. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, she's in almost every single scene. I mean, she she holds the entire film together. Uh, from start to finish, I listened to a podcast with her, and she said that. Um, you know, no one wanted to make this movie, and she felt very, very strongly about it based on her knowledge of Chubbuck and her uh, interactions with the person who wrote the screenplay. And I believe she had to put up some of her own money hmm. to get this made. Like, nobody wanted to touch this property because, you know, how do you pitch this? A depressed woman, right? Spoiler alert commit suicide on the air at a local TV station in Florida. Like, you know, that's the ending. The whole world knows that's the ending because it's a true story. Yeah. Um, and she, she, was, she was very sort of insightful in the interview, and she sort of talked about how, you know, like it was sort of unusual among roles for uh, a female actor in Hollywood. You know, she wasn't the sidekick. She wasn't the love interest. Like, she's really none of those things. Like, she's just right. a very, very tortured person who sort of, you know, is – finding no respite in any direction that she looks most of the movie is really um is close-ups of her uh, and how she's developing further emotional turmoil over right time. And, she, and she looks very very pained you know really well no i mean like her facial expression. no no she does i know i mean yeah. I, she looks yeah i mean it, it must have been um really kind of a tough role i mean i know that you know she wants to show her chops and that but Yikes. I mean, however long it took him to shoot this, I mean, she just had to make herself more and more miserable. I bet they the made it fast, time. you know. I mean, there's really – the whole movie takes place in essentially – Like a month or two. two. Yeah, two sets. Well, I mean, there's re- there's the studio, there's her apartment, and then a few other location shots. But, you know, most of the movie takes place in a, a small number of places. Um and, you know, everybody in the film, though, is drawn pretty well. Like, for example, Michael C. Hall, who plays her love interest, uh, although he's, she's not his love interest. Right. Uh, he's, the, he's the news anchor that she's in love with. You know, George, yeah. George, you know, and, and you are led to believe in the first half of the movie that he's a pompous jerk. Uh, and then when he takes her out on a date, 
you know, she's under the impression and you, the audience member, are under the impression that it's a romantic date. And then you find out that he's really bringing her to group therapy because he's worried about her. And it, yeah. flips, it flips the George Ryan character completely on its ear because, you know, he's not this Lothario like he cares about her, he's not quite sure how to help her, so he does he does what worked for him. You know, he's been yeah. going to this form of group therapy. Right. He's he, right. He's sort of recovered from his own misery, and he's trying to, to help her. You know, he's he's really probably the most concerned person about her. Although I guess Jean is in some ways as well. He's her sort of producer. Um, right. Jean, who's played by uh, Maria Dizia. Mm-hmm. who is, uh, I never saw before, I saw her in Orange is the New Black, but she has uh, a pretty good part in the first season of Orange is the New Black, and then she kind of doesn't really return. Maybe she's in the first two seasons, but she, she sort of disappears after that because she's married. She's either ma- No, sorry, she's the sibling of the main character in Orange is the New Black's uh, boyfriend, but they all get right. written out after a while. But she's, you know, she does a lot in this with a modest part because, you know, She's initially cast as the sidekick, and then about two-thirds of the way through the movie, you find out that she has ambitions of her own in television, and her ambition uh, results in her doing some good work, and her being praised by the station manager right. uh, res- sort, of thro- sort of is another event that throws Chubbuck into chaos. Right, Just seeing someone else succeed through hard work and gumption, well, her hard work is not going recognized right and and her sort of objectively her work looks she kind of is probably better than christine is because in the movie the stuff christine does is a little strange a little nutsy or i wouldn't know if i'd say strange i would say strained really strange she's she's trying a little too hard she's trying too hard and she doesn't really have understand what's interesting Uh, and i'm not talking about trying to find blood and guts like she sort of insists the station manager is trying to do it's just she doesn't really get it i think she's so screwed up that she can't really do her job that well and I, i think that you know her producer um do you mean the TV Gene. The guy who's running the state? Oh yeah, Gene. No, Gene. Right. Gene kind of is is a little more together and can can get it. So and, when Gene and, does a piece, it it turns out to be good. And Gene is supposed to be more put together with better coping skills. Like Gene right. openly talks about her coping skills, sort of dealing with troubles by doing something simple, like sitting in her car and singing while eating Having ice cream. Ice cream, yeah. And, right. and, and and she does try to help Christine. She's clearly concerned about her as well. Well, I think um, that she's she's more concerned about her than anybody. And I think it's it's implied that Gene sort of understands more than anybody how deep a hole Christina's dug for herself with the exception yeah. of maybe the mother. Yeah. Right. But the uh, mother who's her, who's strange... her roommate and essentially her, uh, her tenant, essentially Christina is paying the rent on a home that she lives in with the mother. Right. And they and have a sort of, peg. they have a sort of inverted relationship where the mother, you know, the mother smokes pot and goes out and socializes and has a boyfriend and gets laid and Christine is a sort of, you know, celibate parental type figure paying the bills and irritated that the dishes are dirty in the sink. Yeah, and, and Christine calls her Peg. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, you know, the movie, and this is, I, I've watched it twice. I don't watch a lot of things twice these days, but I watched it twice. And I think one of, for me, one of the most striking things about the film is 
the movie plays a trick on you. And, and whether I think whether you're a man or a woman, you know, the movie kind of leads you, the viewer, to think, at least for the beginning part of the film, I could have gotten to her. I could have helped her. I could have saved her, right? Because you, the viewer, get to sort of see her and know her in, in ways that nobody else does, right? right? But one of the big points of the movie is you couldn't have. Right. No one could have helped her, right? The people tried. Like, Jean tried, right? George, George tried. tried. Her mother tried. Like, people really, really tried and reached out to her in a very caring way to no avail. Like, like I think that that's a very, very dark conceit of the film, but they managed to pull it off because I felt, you know, watching it like, oh, my God, I could have, you know, maybe if I could have sat her down or spoken to her, but no, you couldn't have. No one could have. Right. Yeah, she needed, uh, uh, you know, what's the, there's a Woody Allen line like about Prozac and a polo mallet, you know, like. <laughs> Only she, you would have brought that up right now. Yeah. No, I mean, she she needed to be institutionalized, you know, essentially. Right, and she'd been previously institutionalized, right. they they hint at, uh, up in Boston, they say. Right. Um, probably it was at McLean. Um, but, you know, there's, the first time you see it, I think that I didn't, well, I should say that the first time I saw it, I really, really enjoyed the scenes where she's putting on the puppet show. She puts on this puppet show for, for um, developmentally Kids delayed or disabled children. Yeah. But the whole the puppet shows is when she's speaking the truth. Like you know, her mask falls when she's doing the puppet shows, and she talks about showing people the real you and how right. do you get people to like you and how do you get people to accept you and how do you bear your real emotions and like. You know, it's it's not on TV or it's not with her real friends or the people around her that she can show who she is. It's when she's on a cardboard television, you know, doing a, a puppet show. Like, that's, that's when the real Christine comes out, and that's when you really, really know who she is and what she's really thinking. Right, and she's trying to – she's taught, she's lecturing herself. Um, right, much you know, more that, so than the kids. Right, that's her aspirational uh, real voice. Um, that's trying to write her ship. Um, and you know, it's, it's really depressing because it's this, it's a really thin, um, it's sort of a thin voice and it's not, you know, you could tell it's, it's like trying to, it's trying to bail out the Titanic with a Dixie cup, you know, when she's saying like, you know, (laughs) just show people how, just you have to you have to show up to work every day, right? And dress and right, your hair, and act well. <clears throat> and you know you're thinking like you know sure, but the house is burning down. You know you're you, that, after the the second or the third time you see her in the hospital, you realize like you know things are not going well. And then there's a sort of looming specter of her medical troubles. You know it's you know she's in constant abdominal and pelvic pain and yeah. i guess i guess they eventually say it's an ovarian cyst like i actually thought that they were leading up to her having a malignancy but they're not really doing that but they're sort of it sort of emphasizes her um you know her unlikelihood of having children they don't explicitly state but heavily imply that she is a virgin you know what i'm saying like she has pain in her pelvis yeah um, um so uh, I think it no might one, be a teratoma, by the way. <laughs> Some teeth. Based on the, um, yeah, the x-ray. No, by the way, I love how they diagnose it with a KUB, but we digress. Um, well, they, you can if it's a teratoma, that's why I said, because <laughs> they, no, they actually no, put I something know. semi-appropriate up on He puts up, up a on flat the, plate up on the light box. I know, but um, it's got a calcification of the pelvis. <laughs> a little cerebellum in there. So it's um, a tooth. Um, 
And then, you know, the, the entire movie, you know, is, is like a funnel and the funnel leads you to the, the inevitable moment when you know that she does commit suicide live on air. Um, and it's done in a very, very flat way. You know, there's no music in the scene and you actually see it through the monitor. Like you see her do it on uh, a TV monitor as she's talking live uh, on the air. Right. And it's, you know, it's very, very, very um, quick and bluntly presented. It's not done in an overdramatic manner. Um, and, you know, she, she actually researched, the real Christine Chubbuck researched how to commit suicide. And one of the things that she read was, you know, don't shoot yourself in the mouth of the temple, shoot yourself in the back of your head, right, to take out your... Um, you know, your regulatory functions. Um, And, uh, you know, the movie doesn't end there. You know, you think the movie is going to end there, and it does not. The movie goes on for about another 10 or 15 minutes, mostly showing Gene riding with her in the ambulance to the hospital, um, people at the news station sort of coping with the news and and the events that they saw unfold. And then the, the film ends with Gene eating ice cream and singing. Right, mm. sort of like we're back to Jean and her coping mechanisms. That, as distraught as Jean is, you know that Jean is going to somehow get through this. Right. I, I don't know. I, I just I thought it was terrific from start to finish. I mean, I, I think Hall might be the best female actress of her generation, um, as opposed to male actresses, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I really, I mean, she's just such a standout. You know, they try very hard to make her kind of unattractive. And they fail. I mean, she's a very, very attractive woman. And if you look at, for example, photos of the real Christine Chubbuck, she has a sort of a little bit of a harsher look to her, a little more angular, a little less uh, perfect uh, face. And they sort of try to have Hall emulate that as much as they can. But they really cannot hide how pretty she is. Yeah. Um, and she's, I mean, like I said, I mean, she holds this whole movie together from start to finish. Um, if you look online, uh, and I don't know if you did this, but I did. Mm. If you look online, there is a video of her suicide on YouTube, and there is a fair bit of debate about whether it's real or not. Um, well, it, says, it says in the, you know, the reference, always accurate uh, Wikipedia article, that that they never that it would that the tape was not ever aired or released. So there's so I, I read a ton about this online. So the tape was uh the tape exists. The tape was held by the station manager when he died. His wife came into custody of it. Um and I'm telling you if you go to YouTube there is a video of Christine Chubba committing suicide. Now there is a debate about whether it's real or not. Right. Um, and people have done some fairly intense analysis of this video and it's black and white and it the audio is almost incomprehensible although she does say if you listen carefully she does say word for word what the quinn article says that she said um and the set matches the real um suncoast digest to a lot of very very minute details the video is black like i said it's black and white and it's extremely low res it appears to be a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and it's 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 incredibly washed out so i'm not saying you should run online and check it out although i suspect you probably will 
Um, but it is interesting to see, and people have very strong feelings one way or the other about whether it's fake or whether it's real. And, and again, the, the analyses were very, very uh, technical about video tech, video recording technology from the 1970s and what sort of artifacts you can see in the in the tape. Um, but also, there's there's uh, on a less uh, macabre note, there's there's video on YouTube of Chuba giving there's little snippets of her. Uh, you know, some pieces of her Suncoast Digest broadcast survive to this day. Although mm-hmm. I imagine very, very little is going to survive from a TV show from 43 years ago. That was, they said that during most of their broadcast, they were only watched by a few hundred homes. Right. Well, Bud nobody Dwyer. nobody had a VCR. Remember Bud Dwyer? He was oh, like this politician in Pennsylvania no, in the 90s that shot himself at a press conference. Right. So the, the Bud Dwyer... So that Bud was Dwyer, real. well, right, and the other the other interesting thing about Bud Dwyer is, you know, it was in full color. Right. Uh, it was it was uh, eighty seven, January twenty seventh, eighty seven. I just looked it up. That Dwyer killed himself, and the the Dwyer suicide is famous because, I mean, you know, it's not a little grainy black and white copy of a copy of a copy. It's full color, right in front of the cameras. Right. Um. And I think that, you know, you know, he did it because we're getting a little bit of feel from Christine, but it's not that far afield. Dwyer, I believe, killed himself because he believed he was going to be unfairly convicted of some sort of corruption charge. And he did it for the insurance purposes. Like mm-hmm. uh, he, he had to commit suicide before uh, the criminal proceedings got underway so that his wife would get the money. And then I believe – I could be wrong, but I believe that he was, he was exonerated after he died. Like he was, in fact, innocent, as he said. And I believe his wife got a big settlement. Hmm. Um, oh, you know what it was? I think he had to die in office. If he got convicted, they were going to throw him out of office and his wife wouldn't get the insurance. I think he did it so that he would commit suicide while he was still in office. I think right. that was the motivation behind Bud Dwyer. But I guess, you know, there's probably some similarities between Bud Dwyer and Christine Chubbuck. Yeah. Right. They knew that they were in trouble in a way that they couldn't get out of. They felt they had nowhere to turn. Right. And they both committed suicide in very, very public ways. Hmm. Yeah. Not a cheery film, but man, I mean, just just a, a tour de force from top to bottom. And, you know, what's interesting is the movie's directed by a guy who's who's only done a few other movies. He hasn't done much, I know. Well, no, he, he made two other movies that I haven't seen, one called After School and one called Simon Killer. Well, I imagine that the story about exactly how this got made is probably relatively interesting because, you know, they, they knew that this – this movie is not being made for, to for for profit. There's no way that it's ever going to be financially really a, a big hit. There's just no way. And um, so, I mean, it's, well, it's, it's interesting. It's very, I mean, this is only you know this movie only played in indie indie theaters. You know, right? The Cineplex Odeon, you know, twenty eight screen is going to put Iron Man seven on. 11 of those screens, it's not going to put this movie up there. Sure. But, you know, I think that that the movies can make money being on Netflix now, can make money from uh, other channels and from video release at this point. And, and also there's the overseas market, too, where they, they can still uh, make some money. You know, 
Um, Woody Allen would always say that that his money, that his movies from France generally, no, the city of Paris alone, yeah, he made the same amount of money just from for Paris box office that he did in the whole United States. <laughs> Jerry Lewis said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, hey, I know. Lady. <laughs> never, ever, ever understood Jerry Lewis. Ever. Oh, well. <laughs> never got it. Never thought it was funny. Well, I don't know. Um, you know, it was funny because like when I was a kid, like I would watch like my dad would be laughing at the Three Stooges and I'd be like, that's not funny. And as an adult, I'm like, oh, I could kind of get it. Never got Jerry Lewis. <laughs> awful. Just awful top to bottom. <sighs> um, but I'm telling you, this, it, this really shows the, pow- like, the power of independent cinema. Like, they, you know, like what they could do in an independent film. You, know, you couldn't get away with this in a regular movie. You couldn't have a two-hour you know, character study. But this like day this. and age, like this kind of thing is even rarer because – I, you know, I'm sure that even the, the indie theater um, audiences have dwindled. I mean, all movie going audiences have dwindled and continue to dwindle, right? And I mean, most towns have maybe zero or one independent or arts house cinema now. I mean, you know, they they might have had their heyday maybe in the '80s or the '90s, and and uh, but I mean, now they're just they're just not around much. And then you know, you'll have like uh, sometimes there'll be. Um, a city more of a little bit urban multiplex that will will show you know they'll show iron man but then they'll also you know in the in theater 16 for two shows a day you know well they'll they'll show a couple independents right in in the smaller but but they're balancing it out they're basically and you know that that's a smart move because they're able to they have enough screens that they can they can kind of draw everybody and they also have a concentration of relatively erudite um, clientele in, in the urban center. So, so they are able to probably fill a, a smaller theater with that, uh, for, you know, they keep it in there for a week or two. Right. But I, it's just, there's just not much. So I think this day and age for stuff like this to get made is it's gotta be just really hard at this point. You know, it's, yeah. It's, well, yeah. Hard, hard to get be. funding for, as Hall said. Hard to make. Hard to find a distributor. I'm sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, probably yeah. the best thing that happened to them is they got this thing on Netflix. You know, I, I've been running around telling everybody I know that they have to see this movie, and almost everybody I know who watched it said the same two things. One was I never heard of it, and B, it was phenomenal. Yeah, you know? and you know it popped. And the other thing is, it it showed up like on my Netflix. Um, I, I noticed it. You know, I watched it after you talked to me about it, but it um, popped up on my Netflix beforehand. So it clearly Netflix's algorithm had uh, found me. Yeah, it uh, found me too. But I, I mean, I watch a lot of indie stuff on Netflix, so I, I'm not surprised it popped up on my feed. I don't think it showed up on. My wife's feed, for example, or my kid's feed, for example. Yeah, but I mean, but it was really, um, they put it up there pretty prominently. You know, I mean, it, oh, it, yeah. it, didn't, it was right so, on the front page. Right. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, it, I bet it got pretty wide viewing on Netflix. And Wikipedia says it made $313,000 in the box office. Um, I, I bet they've made a lot more than that just from Netflix. Probably. And it probably got. 10 times the number of views that it got in the theaters on Netflix. Oh, um, at least. By the way, you know, Michael C. Hall is Dexter. Yes. George Correct. Ryan. And you know, he, he had to work for nothing to, in this movie. Right, he probably so. took scale. 
Um, right. By the way, if you get the chance, you got to see Lay the Favorite. She plays uh, sort of like a stripper, uh, sort of like a low-end stripper who gets into um, sportsbook betting. It's very, very good. It's got Bruce Willis and Catherine Zeta-Jones in it and um, – uh, the girl from that '70s show, Laura Prepon. Uh, it's very, very funny. Okay. Uh, so, if we were looking for another Rebecca Hall movie, I would say that's the next one to do. Interesting. Um, if you haven't seen it, go out and see Christine. You will not. Uh, you will not regret it. It's not cheery. Maybe a little like like you said, Peter. Maybe a little Prozac before, <laughs> right? And the, you know, maybe a little glass of scotch. I don't know something to help get you through it. But boy, is it good. My yeah. personal, my personal best movie I've seen in the last twelve months. I'll, I'll, I'll give it uh, that. That's high praise. It's a good one, and it's also uh, it's a real showcase for Rebecca Hall because it's a it's almost a one woman show. It's it's ninety. The movie's ninety percent her. Yeah, it's going to be hard for her to top that. But that having been said, it's better to have something like that, you know, in your pocket that you have to try to top. It'll open up her career, I'm sure. I hope. I hope. She, if you ever, if you get, I'll see if I can find that podcast and I'll, I'll send you the link to it. But it's interesting to hear her talk about it. All right, should we wrap there? Sounds good. All right, thanks everybody. All right, good night. <laughs>